you know, you hit the toga switch, set thrust, thrust set, 80 knots, checks, V1, rotate, there you go. Like, that's it. You're up, up in the air. Welcome aboard, aviation enthusiasts. I'm Aaron Sloper, call sign Slopey. Today, we have the pleasure of soaring through the skies with a remarkable individual whose aviation journey began at the age of 12. Join us on this episode as we navigate the incredible story of Mariah. From earning multiple aviation certifications to flying for PSA Airlines, Mariah's journey is a testament to perseverance and passion in the face of adversity. Buckle up as we take flight through her inspiring story and uncover the sky-high achievements of this phenomenal aviator. All here today on this episode of From the Right Seat. Hi there, Mariah. Welcome to From the Right Seat Podcast. Tell us who you are and what is your story. So my name is Mariah. Um, I am 26. I am from a little town in Delaware, and I'm a first officer for PSA Airlines. Um, as far as my story is concerned, I wanted to fly from a pretty young age. I was around 12 when a cousin of mine in Delaware went to a high school that had a pilot program. And I was like, oh, I want to be an astronaut. So that's perfect. I'll do that. <laughs> um, I was a bit, I, I don't know if I would call it delusional, but I just had parents that would encourage me to do anything. I'd be like, I want to rule the world. And my mom and dad would be like, yeah, sure. You can do it. Like <laughs> whatever you want. Um, yeah, but it actually ended up working out because the high school is a pretty big deal to get into. Not anymore. Now it's a lottery system, but Back when I was about 12 or 13 and I applied to be a freshman, you had to have a home interview. So they would come to your house and interview you. Yeah. And um, discuss like what you do for fun, what your goals are, like what your parents do, you know. So I just remember it being such a big deal that the house was neat and tidy. And we had, you know, all of our T's crossed and our dies eyes dotted because it, it was a big deal. And I ended up getting in. And um, I set my eyes on the flight program and I was like, I want to do that. Like, I want to do that. For a brief moment, I considered cosmetology because you've seen me. I love hair. I have a lot of it. Um, and, and I love all things nails and makeup. The flight attendants are always like, oh, my God, your hair, your nails. And my captains are like, how do you fly with those? And I'm like, oh, well, I mean, I just do it. <laughs> but I decided, no, I'm sticking with aerospace science ROTC because that's what I want to do. Um, and so I got into the program. I had to interview for it again, lots of interviews. Uh, um, I had to do a test. It's like you were getting into Hogwarts or something. You know, you would have thought it was like a program adjacent to special forces or something, the way they like were interviewing people. <laughs> it felt a lot like I did drama growing up. Um, it felt a lot like auditions. And when they posted the names on who got in, it was like the call sheet of everybody who, <laughs> who oh got the goodness. leading roles and got the extras. Yeah. Um, and so after my interview, I was 14 or 15 at the time, 14, because I was a freshman. I got into the flying program. And how it worked was as a freshman, you interviewed, you got into the program, you didn't start flying until your junior year because you have to be 16 to get a student pilot certificate. So it didn't make mm -hmm. sense for you to start earlier than that. Right. Um, when I got into the program, I should probably forget this memory, but I, I talked about it in the post. I do remember how it happened. It, it wasn't, not everybody was as happy for me as I was happy for me. Um, I did have a kid 
Um, and I'm like 15 at the time, so very young and impressionable. Uh, he turned to me and said, yeah, it's because you're black. That's why you got here, because they have to have diversity. So that's why they let you in. And um, I-, I tried to shake it off. I was like, what? No. And I, I just left it off. Um, but the reality was I was the only black person who did apply for the program. And so I kind of thought to myself, like, oh, is there some merit to what he's saying? But anyways, I decided that I was going to stick with flying no matter what people said. So I I kept flying and not all of this was included in the post, but I was actually at the bottom of my class. Like I was doing terrible. Like I was failing practice tests for the FA written. I just was really bad. I had no clue what was going on. I was absolutely clueless. Um, But I just set my sights on, I want to do this. So I'm just going to keep going, even if I suck at it right now. (laughs) And so I I kept going. I kept going through the program. I kept going through the training. Eventually, I started getting better. And eventually, I, I would solo and do different things. And my best friend at the time actually said that she heard somebody from the ROTC program talking about me in class saying, oh, somebody should just tell Mariah that flying is not for her and she's wasting her time and her money um and so it really affected me negatively and that really contributed to why I performed so poorly because in the back of my mind every time I messed up oh my god they're right they're right I'm here because I'm a diversity hire I'm here because you know they need somebody to (laughs) to bring in the diversity and I'm wasting my time I shouldn't be here um but I kept going. My parents were super supportive. They were like, you know, like, just keep pushing through it. And so I kept pushing through it. And eventually I got better and better and better. And there were 11 people in the program. Only three of us got their pilot's license in high school. And I was one of them. Really? Yeah. There were 11 wow. people. They kicked eight people out. Because wow. they weren't flying as much. They weren't taking it seriously. They weren't doing well. Um so I went from being at the bottom of my class to being in the top three. Um, yeah. And once I finished, I had no idea that I like was making history. I was just kind of existing. Um, kind of a pattern of mine. I have no idea I'm making these waves. I just kind of live my life and see, um, and see what happens. And so I definitely could not have done it without the support of my friends and my parents. And once I found out that I was going to be inducted into the Delaware Aviation Hall of Fame, I was like, oh, wait, what? Like, I did that? Like, I was just living my life. And so looking back on it, um, it really was an experience that shaped who I am today, getting my private. Of course, I've gotten many licenses since then, six or seven, I think. including my AGI, but I I never forgot where I came from. I never forgot like the grit that it took to get to where I am because it doesn't stop. Uh, airline training is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It's been described as mental P90X. Um, so my block for my airline training was 8 p.m. to 3 a.m. So by midnight, your brain is just, it's mush. Once midnight hits, you're not thinking clearly you see the thousand feet you're supposed to do the thousand foot call out you it just blows right past you mm. <laughs> you just miss. wow yeah but um 
overall, yeah, that's pretty much my story. I got my private in high school. I went to Embry-Riddle. I trained there. Um, that was also difficult. Um, I came to the airlines and did my training here, and that was also <laughs> difficult. Mm-hmm. But now I'm flying, and I'm on the line, and I love it. And every time I get into a plane, I just thank God, because I, I really am just so blessed to be where I am and so blessed to be excel in a field where so many people told me I didn't belong. So I just think it's awesome. That is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, so why why aviation and why the airlines? What what drove you in that direction? Aviation because I originally wanted to be an astronaut. That was my right. goal. I was like, I'm going to do that. And so that is actually why I joined the aerospace RTC program. It's pretty convenient of me to have done that because I was going to do the Air Force and they picked the best pe- test pilots to go to astronaut school. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is great. Um, and I was going to, you know, be a geologist as well. I really love science. I really love rocks. Um, super nerd over here. I wouldn't admit it to your face. Uh, if this were in person, I would deny it. Um, but long story short, I had asthma as a kid and was still actually taking medication for my asthma. It wasn't until 2020 that I stopped taking asthma medication because I became a runner, so I kind of grew out of it. Oh, okay. And that's obviously a big no um, for the Air Force, especially if you want to be a military pilot. So I couldn't get a waiver. Um, By the time I had figured that out, I already had my private, actually. Um, My high school had paid for my private, so I was like, I might as well just stick with it and keep going and go to the airlines because it's what I want to do. I already have the first class medical. I might as well just stick with it. So, How did you discover the opportunity to pursue your pri- private pilot's license in high school? Like that's a, uh, it's like an unheard of. Um, was it like a right? vocational school or like? Yeah. So I went to school. Um, you don't have to include this if you don't want to. Um, but if you do, I don't care. It's on the internet called Polytech in Woodside, Delaware, and it actually was nicknamed the Dumb People School because that's where you go if you don't want to go to college because it's a vocational oh. school. So they had right. cosmetology, they had CAD, computer-aided drafting, dental school, physical therapy, like whatever you wanted, they had. Um, and they also had a flying program because our principal was retired Air Force and he loved flying, was super passionate about it. Um, and I actually forgot to include this part in my like private pilot story but halfway through the program the principal that we had retired and a different principal came in and he was like I'm shutting down this program it's too expensive and so I'm halfway through I'm towards the end of my private and he was like if you have this stage three check and you fail the stage three check and you're out of the program that's it um, I don't know if you fly a lot or just like an aviation enthusiast, but it's really easy to like fail one thing for a stage three check when you're, it's your first license and you're like, <laughs> and you're 16 years old, right? Um, so I did fail and he actually did kick me out of the program. Um, and so I wasn't even supposed to finish my private because he kicked me out and I was like, you know, I really just want to keep going. I think you should reconsider. I can get it on the second try. Like I know I can. And he was like, well, you should just be proud of how far you've come, basically. <laughs> and so um, I was blessed enough to have parents that would go to the ends of the earth for me. 
so naturally my mom did what any mom of an only child would do and she went to the school and threatened the principal and my mom is five foot nothing um very tiny but she is incredibly terrifying Mm -hmm. so needless to say (laughs) after one meeting i was back in the program and that and that was it (laughs) came home you're good honey (laughs) pretty much yeah i was like um how did the meeting go? She was like, oh, yeah, you're seeing your instructor again tomorrow. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much how it happened. We had a vocational school and a principal at the time who was just really like he really into aviation, really wanted to see young kids pursue it. And um, I am forever indebted to his name is Dr. Curry. I'm forever indebted to him because had Polytech not paid for my private, I probably wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. So. As the first black female to uh, complete the high school program and be inducted into the Delaware Aviation Hall of Fame, which is huge, at age 17, no less, what challenges did you face being the only person of color in the program, and how did you navigate those obstacles? Um, I would say the challenges I faced, I talked about it um, a little bit earlier, but the biggest challenges I faced were inside of myself, kind of like battling the can I do it, can I not? And that didn't end with my private pilot. It continued until my airline training. It wasn't until I believed that I could do something that I began to excel in doing something. I would have instructors say things like, wow, that was great, or you did so good. And I'd be like, I mean, yeah, but I could have done this better. I could have done that more. You know, I think when you start flying at such a young age with the personality I have of being a perfectionist, like there is nothing that is ever good enough. Um, And some challenges, I didn't get to do everything that other kids did. Um, even still, I didn't get to do everything that other adults did in college. Um, there are times where I can't go to family functions because it's like, hey, I'm sitting reserve or I'm working or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. So um, I'd say the biggest challenges I faced were mental and then in terms of just life adjustments, sacrifice, dedication, hard work. That's what that's what came with it, which seems like a pretty like cheesy answer. And to some people, it may not be a big deal, but to me, it. It is. There are some pretty big moments in college that I missed um, because I had a flight and couldn't cancel or because I was working um, outside of college. So, mm-hmm. Awesome. How did your experience at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University shape your perspective and skills as a pilot and flight instructor? Ooh, that's a loaded question. People say <laughs> riddle pilots can't fly. I agree. You um, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and you guys, you and you guys are pretty good. Um, I'd say Riddle is like, uh, oh gosh, they gave me a lot of money, so I shouldn't say too much. I would say, <laughs> I would say Riddle is kind of like a. Um, my running joke is I'm I'm factory farmed. You know, they have a cookie cutter way of doing things, and if you don't do it the cookie cutter way, you're you're wrong. You're you're this. You're that. Um, so I would say that going to Embry-Riddle shaped my skills as a pilot as I'm pretty quick on my feet. I'm pretty good at adjusting. Um, I'm pretty good at kind of like catering. I had to kind of change my learning style to fit the instructor's teaching style. Um, because I, I just think differently from 
a lot of pilots and the way that they teach. So I would have to, they would teach me things and I'll go home and reteach myself and be like, okay, well, he said this and he said that. Um, but I think going to Embry-Riddle gave me an incredibly solid foundation. There are things that I know that when I instructed at other flight schools, because I didn't instruct at Embry-Riddle. So when I went to instruct at other flight schools, there are things that I know that they didn't know. So people were able to come to me to ask, hey, Mariah, how does this work? Or how does that work? Or tell me this about the atmosphere, because you took two classes on weather and I'm just a part 61 guy, you know, things like that. Um, so I would say my knowledge of subject matter, such as aerodynamics, weather, systems, all of that, I knew a lot of aircraft systems for like the CRJ and Boeing and things like that before I even got to the airlines just because they make you take a class on it and I knew a lot about aerodynamics because they make you take a class on it so it gave me a really good foundation which I was able to give to my students as well I think also because I went to Embry-Riddle and I have a type A personality I'm incredibly strict um, and the running joke was that I hit my students. I never hit my students, um, like physically. I never hit them. Um, but the running joke was that I was the tough instructor, and they'd be like, oh, my God, like, you're so tough. And I'd be like, I am literally just asking you for the ACS standards. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm literally just asking for the bare minimum. But it was the way that I did it. With a lot of, at Ember Riddle, they teach you, like, don't take your hand off the throttle. And so with my students, it was don't take your hand off the throttle. And here I am at the airlines. A lot of the captains, even the ones that went to Riddle, make fun of me because I don't take my hand off the throttle, I, at the off the thrust levers. I keep two fingers, two freshly manicured fingers on the thrust <laughs> lever when I fly. <laughs> um, and sometimes captains will like put their fingers there and just poke at it and make fun of me. And I'm just like, you can take the girl out and be riddle, but you can't take any and be riddle out the girl. That's right. So. That's right. Good habits yeah. go go a long ways. Mm-hmm. Can you share any memorable experiences or lessons that significantly impacted your journey during your time at the university or even in the high school? Memorable experiences. Uh, my first solo, uh, my first cross-country solo, I had a friend. I was so terrified, right? I'm taking this plane from here to where. My first cross-country solo was to, oh my God, where was I? Lank? I don't even remember. I'd have to look it up. It's been years. Probably either Lancaster or Atlantic City, New Jersey. Um, But I had a friend and she actually did the same solo before me. And so she wrote down this sheet. It was called like words of wisdom. She she meant to write wisdom, but she wrote wins and just kept going. So it became my it became our running thing. Um, whenever I like needed advice or help, she would say, Oh, these are my words of wisdom. <laughs> but um, it's it's fitting. Yeah, right? Yeah. So she wrote everything down was like okay you're gonna take off and this is what you're gonna do and then you're gonna land here and this is what you're gonna do and then you do this and you're gonna do that and so whenever I got nervous or got lost I would pull out the paper that she wrote for me and then I would look at the paper and be like okay this is what I'm supposed to do now and I would like do it and keep going and once like the nerves went away and I was able to think clearly um things went really smooth um, up until the point where my last cross country solo during my private, I went lost comms <laughs> and I'm in like the middle of nowhere and I don't know anything about, 
um, losing radios just because I, I don't even remember. <laughs> um, I couldn't figure out like the squat codes. There was no like 75 taken alive. It was just like, they were just numbers at that point because um, I was freaking out. <laughs> so eventually I, after about like 15 minutes, I just did like a turn it off and turn it back on. And someone else was able to hear me after that. And so they were telling like approach what I was saying. And so by the time approach got to me, I was already out of their airspace. So I just left. But mm-hmm. yeah, I would say that's the first and only time I've been in a plane and I've been like, oh, my God, what do I do? And I've had some pretty like um, crazy stuff happen, like playing with thunderstorms and, you know, fuel and being overweight. And the first flight school I ever instructed at was in the FRZ, right mm-hmm. next to um, Andrews Air Force Base in DC. So I've been through some stuff, but I think that takes the cake on like how scared I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> that was pretty memorable, I'd say. That's awesome. Uh, what was the first plane you ever flew? I 172. Okay. And how old were you? The first time I went up, I was 15. Okay. The first time I started taking lessons, I was 16. Okay. Did they do the, um, in the, in the high school, did they do the, like the hundred dollar discovery flight or whatever it was? Yeah. But since they, um, paid for our training, like everything was free. I just paid $25 a month in like club fees. Nice. That's so awesome. You can't, you can't beat that. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. No, you can't. You mentioned grappling with internal challenges related to stereotypes and perceptions. How did you manage to overcome these mental barriers and find your stride in the aviation industry? This is going to sound so cheesy um, and so like... I'm here for it. I don't know if it's going to sound pretentious. It's It might not sound good, but it's the truth, honestly. Um, the biggest things that helped me were A, having friends that encouraged me. Um, and having friends that were where I wanted to be so I could ask them for help and lean on them for guidance. I have friends from college that fly for PSA. And whenever I have questions about PSA, I'm like, hey, like, Chris Gelsen just did this to me. Like, is this legal? Can I say no? <laughs> Things like that. Um, and also, like, just a lot of prayer and just a lot of, like, positive reinforcement within myself. I had, like, a moment in my airline training in my car after like a really bad lesson and i was like oh my god i can't do this and apparently everybody has that in their airline training where they're like oh my god i can't i can't do this um and i just thought about you know all the lessons i failed in my like flight training to get to this point and I thought of all the things that anyone had ever said to me. And I was like, you know what? They're right. Like, this is stupid. Like, I am struggling so hard. I feel so stupid. I was like, I can't do this. Um, And I have, like, the Bible app on my phone. Um, And while I was in my car, like, sobbing, (laughs) I got, like, a notification. It sent me, like, it does, it's on, like, a timer. So it sends, like, scriptures and stuff like that. And the scripture for that day was Isaiah 43. And it... I forget like what it is verbatim, but it's basically like, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Like, have you not seen it? I've already begun. And it's like, I will make a way through the wilderness. Like you will walk through the fire. You won't be burned. Like, yeah, Isaiah 43, 19. Um, 
Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it, now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make an, a, a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Exactly. Yeah. And so I was just like thinking like so hard about like the pilot I was in my training and that pops up and that tells me and it's God basically reminding me like I'm doing something completely new. That's how I took it. I took it mm -hmm. as I'm doing something with you that has never been done before. And the translation that I like read was, do you not see it? Like I've already begun, like I've already started. And so here I am in the middle of my training feeling so like, oh my God, like I can't do this. And it was like God's kind of like love letter to me saying like, I have already started doing something in you that you can't even like comprehend. And so it sounds kind of like cheesy to be like, oh, God helped you. But it, it, it's true. It took like a lot of like just prayer and like positivity to kind of like overcome that. Because even now I'll have captains say some pretty like outlandish things. Um, one captain even told my friend, and I, I hate to keep bringing up like race and stuff like that. One captain told my friend, oh, slavery was good because it gave you guys skills. Um, yes. Yeah. So people will say things like that. And, you know, how do you hear rhetoric like that for so long and not have it affect you, right? It takes that internal, like, encouragement. It takes that amount of, like, reaching for a higher power, whoever, whatever you believe in, to <laughs> to come back from that. So definitely that is how I have and am continuing to overcome that because it really, like, is a journey for me not everybody feels like that obviously but for me it is a journey so i just take it one day at a time that is definitely a, a barrier and a hurdle for sure mm -hmm. yeah you've achieved significant certifications at a relatively young age what were some of the most pivotal moments or achievements in your career that you're particularly proud of oh this is a good one um i never really stop and smell the roses right <laughs> um, I'll keep this one short. My biggest accomplishments that I'm really proud of, um, I obviously am in the Delaware Aviation Hall of Fame. I was also American Airlines Distinguished Cadet. Okay. I was an OBAT Bessie Coleman Legacy Award recipient. Um, I was a Southwest Airlines Scholarship recipient. I was a United Airlines Scholarship recipient. And I was a PSA airline scholarship recipient. Um, and so I was also an intern at Southwest. So I think that was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, I think like all of those awards, like they really meant a lot to me just because it was like just my way of, okay, I can do this. I need to keep going. Mm -hmm. you know? so, yeah. That's it. <laughs> i'm That's sure there's fun. more but you're holding mm -hmm. back how did your experience instructing in the delaware tri-state area influence your approach to flying Ooh, we do a lot of dc operations and um the first flight school i ever instructed at was in dc inside the flight restricted zone so just south of andrews we talked about that um, southwest to the White House. I'd have to look at it on a map again. It's been so long, but um, 
so instructing there really gave me a really good perspective on DC operations because my airline flies in and out of DC the most. So while people are afraid to fly out of DC or even get near that area, it, it didn't bother me. It wasn't <laughs> it wasn't anything special. And instructing in Delaware gave me a really good rapport with Philly Approach, which is where I was based the first time I finished my airline training. So I would say instructing in those areas gave me the familiarity with that. So when I started flying in those areas, it wasn't a shock. Or if like captains were ever confused on where we were, I could just look and say, hey, I know that bridge. Like Mm -hmm. we need to go that way or something like that. What has your experience been like flying for PSA Airlines? Flying for PSA has been one of the most exciting experiences of my life, I would say. Um, being on reserve sucks, but any airline you're going to have reserve, it is what it is. But the positives definitely outweigh the negatives when it comes to flying for this airline. Um, I've had a lot of captains who have been great, super helpful. Because I'm on reserve, I don't fly a lot, so sometimes I'll forget things or I'll mess up, and they're always super encouraging. So I never have to worry about I personally have never run into a captain where I've had to worry about them. Like, oh, are they, you know, are they okay? I've okay. heard friends that have, but I've never had that experience. So for me personally, I would say it adds a lot of excitement to my life. It helps me fulfill my purpose, I think, because I love helping people. I love like being super helpful. So anytime I can transport somebody to a wedding or a graduation or, you know, it just helps me feel good so it's awesome i love flying yeah who doesn't love flying that flies right oh my god who doesn't love flying that that flies you know i don't i don't i don't ever hear anybody like oh man i gotta go fly again it's like come on man like you're yeah. you're defying the the law of gravity. <laughs> like yeah. you're cheating physics. You know, it's it, you're you're going places that no one else dares go. You know, the the one the one of the most biggest fears in the world is flying. Is flying, and yeah. we get to do it. You know, you get to do it every day, and you get to be paid to do this. <laughs> I know. I'm finally at the point where I get to be paid to fly, which even better. but yeah um i I remember particularly one day we're coming back from wings over houston actually just before the crash it was a month before the crash and we were flying uh over like this area that that i'm in right now and over this county on approach to conroe and it was at sunset. It was golden hour. It was absolutely gorgeous. Oh, beautiful temperature out. It was absolutely perfect. The air was butter. It was the most perfect day that I've ever flown on that bomber. And I remember just uh, as a loadmaster, I was in the waist. So I was back by the guns behind the wings, mm-hmm. uh, behind the engines. Uh, so, and it was open, like we had the doors open and we have, you know, it just let the wind blow through and whatnot. And I remembered, um, uh, my captain, uh, was, you know, telling stories and whatnot. And I just, I just looked out the window and there was a lull in, in the conversation and it just, man, you can't beat this. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. 
And they're like, and nobody said anything, but this is the best thing ever. I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, this is awesome. So you mentioned setbacks due to COVID, which we all had setbacks due to COVID in uh, yeah. more ways than one, some more than others. Mm -hmm. How did you navigate these challenges and what advice would you give to aspiring pilots facing similar obstacles? Cool. Um, yeah. So I did ride into a little bit of a bind in COVID just because Florida never really shut down. Um, but flying became more difficult because of the pandemic. We had, we took a month off. The school was only closed for a month. Um, but you know, it became really frustrating to me because a lot of times my instructors would get COVID because they'd, they'd be out. Sorry, there's a plane flying over. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you heard that. Anyways. Um, yeah, with COVID, it got hard because my instructors, I was doing my multi at the time, my instructors kept getting COVID. And so I wouldn't fly and then I'd have to quarantine for like two weeks. And then, you know, I was supposed to do my check ride and finish and be done in December, but then my roommate got COVID. So I had to be in a hotel for a few days. And my mom, she was like, at this point, just come home because it's end of December. Like you have to quarantine for two weeks. The school's going to be closed by the time you finish your quarantine. Like just, just come home. So. I came home, um, I came back next year, I ended up finishing in February. I started my multi in August. So because of COVID, I didn't finish until February. And then I started my double I, um, and then I didn't finish until June because, you know, you get around somebody who's exposed, you have to wait two weeks and then they bring out the vaccine. Now it's five days, but then somebody else gets it. So, um, it was pretty difficult. And also Embry-Riddle wasn't hiring instructors when I finished. So I had to find a job and I could not find a job like at all. Um, so that made it pretty difficult. I'm very grateful to have found the job that I did because nobody would hire me without experience. And I couldn't get experience because nobody would hire me. But nobody would hire me without experience. So... Just a big old circle. Yeah, it became a round robin of like, I want a job, but no one will hire me, but I want a job. So I um, networked a lot, really hard, and ended up getting that job in D.C. Of course, there's job openings there because who wants to instruct first-time students in D.C.A.? But um, <laughs> yeah, so I did it. And the advice that I would give to anybody who is trying to navigate any obstacles or challenges is stick with it. A, B, network, 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 network. It's so important. Networking is so important. I wouldn't be at PSA if I hadn't gone to that flight school and instructed at that flight school because someone randomly saw me wearing an Embry-Riddle shirt and was like, oh, you went to Embry-Riddle? I went to Embry-Riddle. If you ever need a job, let me know. That happens a lot, right? And I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, long story short, I ended up having to leave where I was living in Maryland when I was instructing in D.C. and moved back to Delaware. And he just so happened to be from Delaware, the guy who saw me. So I was like, hey, like, <laughs> you still offering me that job? Um, so networking is super important. So that's any advice I could give to somebody who's struggling. 
I'm quoting your post from Facebook, or I'm sorry, from Instagram here. I am only here by God's grace, and I hope to leave the door open for those who come after me. Mm-hmm. This is very commendable of you. Thank you. How do you actively contribute to creating opportunities for aspiring aviators from diverse backgrounds? Ooh, so that is a good question. I am actually a cadet mentor for PSA and um, also a recruiter. So I do recruiting events. Um, I actually just got off the phone with a mentor before I called you. I always run into people who went to Embry-Riddle and they're like, hey, like, I remember you from Riddle. Would you mind helping me with my interview? Um, Would you mind doing this? Would you mind doing that? I never say no. Um, Even when it's like not convenient for me, because I think about where I would be in my life if everyone only helped me when it was convenient for them. I wouldn't be here. Um, There are some people who went to bat for me who had to go through some pretty inconvenient things. Um, And so I I never want to take for granted that I am where I am. So any way I can help anyone else, I'm willing to do that. What advice do you have for others wanting to pursue pursue the career of pilot? Oh, you know, I can't emphasize enough. Just stick with it. It's hard. Life comes at you fast and life comes at you crazy. But if you want to do it, you have to stick with it. Now that I've been an instructor and am on the airline side of things, I can look back and see, oh, because I took two weeks off here, that delayed my training X amount of time because I I took so much time off in between lessons. When you do that, you lose information, you know. So you need to be consistent and you need to be dedicated and you need to be serious about what you want to do it, it's not hard it just takes a lot of effort so just stick with it what valuable life lessons has your aviation journey taught you um i would say valuable life lessons i am always thinking of multiple outcomes to a situation i'm always thinking ahead i think of life as the plane i'm always trying to stay ahead of the plane which doesn't always work out right because things can come at you unexpectedly but I think my ability to strategize has been increased tremendously since I've been flying and once I got really good at flying this is super random my hand-eye coordination is insane like it's actually insane I remember one time my mom has um glasses that my great-grandmother owned who she passed down to her and she was born like 1912 so these are really old and it's real glass they don't make it like this anymore and one time my mom opened the cabinet and the glass fell out mid-air and I caught it mid-air with like one finger and I was just like oh my god I'm a better driver because of flying. I'm better at thinking on my feet because of flying. I have really good interpersonal skills because of flying. I am so good at navigating conflict because of flying because I've had to navigate grumpy captains who've, you know, cuss people out and grumpy passengers that are angry that they don't have their assigned seat and there's nothing I can do about that, but I have a uniform on, so they so obviously it's my fault. Because I have the uniform on, but yeah, I think flying has made me a better person overall. Everyone should do it. It's awesome. Just do it. If you're thinking about flying, do it. <laughs> Just stop thinking and do it. Just stop thinking and do. Yeah. Uh, what do you see yourself doing in the near and far future? 
I see myself flying for a major airline as little as possible, making the most amount of money possible <laughs> and traveling, getting to just enjoy life, taking it slow at my pace, flying only flights I want to fly, <laughs> having control of my own schedule. That's where All I hear is seniority. Yes, I see myself having seniority <laughs> in the near future. That's all I hear. <laughs> That's the answer. Yeah, I see myself having seniority. That's a beautiful way of putting it. All right. Um. So, fun questions. What's your favorite airplane? P-51 Mustang. Oh. Not because of the red tails alone. I think that's cool, obviously, right? Yeah. I just think it's a really cool plane. It's fast. It's tiny, kind of, compared to, like, the bombers and stuff. <laughs> but it's, like, I just think it's so cool. And if there's any plane, you didn't ask, but if there's any plane I could resurrect from the dead, I think it would be the U-2. Okay. Because I think, like, the concept of flying really, really high and doing, like, reconnaissance is just so cool to me. P-51. So why the P-51, though? Specifically the P-51. Specifically the P-51, I... Okay, I lied. It has a lot to do with the red tails. I think it's cool. <laughs> we watched the movie in high school. I was obsessed. We watched it like two or three times in ROTC. We got to see it in museums. I've met some red tails like long time ago. Mm -hmm. Obviously, a lot of them aren't around anymore. Mm -hmm. um, it's a faster plane. It, 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 it's just so cool. I mean, I fly a flying needle regional jet, and the fastest I've ever gone in that is probably 300. So, I, I tell you that that jet though, that ERJ that you fly, mm. I've never felt G forces like I have in those little little things. You know what? Yesterday we had a tailwind of 173. Oh, I want to say, and so our oh. ground speed was 625. That's the fastest we got. Oh my god! I'm not even kidding. I like. Ooh. I I cannot say I have evidence because I do not have evidence. But if there's no way for me to prove that. Oh, we got oh, 125 ground speed. I could 100% prove that. Uh, anything else you want to add? What is your favorite part of flying? Mm, I would say my favorite part of flying probably takeoff. I think it's so exhilarating. It doesn't really get old. You know, you hit the toga switch, set thrust, thrust set, 80 knots, checks, V1, rotate. There you go. Like, that's it. You're up, up in the air. Um, and just hand flying it all the way up and just climbing and like the rush that comes from the fact that i am flying this 70 80 000 pound <laughs> jet i remember the first time i flew oh my god i was terrified i was absolutely terrified my first time flying i had to tell myself okay mariah you're back in the sim like it's just the sim there's no people in the back you're just flying <laughs> because it, you know when you think about it it becomes so real it is so like you said nothing beats it absolutely nothing beats it and you know i i moan and i gripe and i complain about waking up early and 4 a.m van times and you know you want to go home but crew scheduling put another turn on you or something like that but at the end of the what the end of the day the good 100 percent always the bad and 
getting to experience that that rush that adrenaline of piloting a aircraft that could fit all of your friends all of your family everyone you know and love and care about and at one point probably has is an incredible experience and i wouldn't trade it for anything that's awesome um have you ever looked up how much an erj 145 costs um so i fly the crj oh you the do 900 yeah what do you what is it crj the crj 7 and 900 so have you ever looked up how much that one costs i just did it's a pretty penny crazy so how does it make you feel that this airline gives you control over a 41 (laughs) million dollar aircraft every single day and get paid to do it multiple Uh, times a day yeah i have a babysitter uh, so there's a guy next to me, since I'm an FO, I'm a first officer. There's a guy next to me watching what I do, so I can't go too crazy. Um, but, but you're but still flying it. Like, it's, it's, yeah. it's yours for that for that moment in time. I, I think it feels awesome. I think, oh my God, we've gone on so many tangents. I, I'm sorry. I, I have to say this one. I have to say this one, though. There is a pastor that I like, and he talks about how he would go to this rural family in Virginia's home and um, they lived next to a train. And so he visited them for the first time and he walked into their house and was having dinner. And all of a sudden the entire house shook, like things fell over, hit the drink in his hand, like spilled just because the house was shaking because the train was going by. And so then the pastor's like, oh my God, like what, what's that? What's going on? What's this like noise? And the family's like, what noise? Um, because they've lived next to the train for so long, they became so used to it and they became so used to the impact and the gravity that it had that it no longer affected them. And so I think when you do this job for over and over and over and you have thousands and thousands of hours, it gets so easy to be like, what train? Like, what plane? I'm getting in this and I'm I'm grumpy because I don't want to be here and I you know, have this sour attitude because crew's getting into this to me and, you know, the wife did this, the husband did that, these flight attendants suck, like these passengers are pissing me off. Like it's so easy to get like that. Mm-hmm. Um so a lot of times I just take a step back and just try to remind myself, like, you are so blessed to be here. Like this is such an awesome job that you have. And every once in a while the sunrise or the sunset will hit just right where you just can't help but have a smile on your face, honestly. To be up there and to see that and to be like, I am flying this plane. This is what I do. This is what I get paid to do. It It's incredible. I, I just feel honored. I think that's the only way I could put it is I feel honored. So I'm looking through your pictures here on Instagram Mm -hmm. and two things come to mind. What do you think about the tie compared to the scarf? Okay. I had a ground instructor um, who was super supportive of me in my journey. And I sent him a picture once I finished and he's like, yeah, I'm old school. You need to ditch the tie. The tie is for men. You need the scarf. Um, I will be honest with you. That tie is absolutely hideous. I hate it. Every pilot that wears the tie thinks it's ugly. Um, it's new. They just changed it. <laughs> so it Did used to really? be a different color. Yeah, it used to be black. Um, oh. This, like, oh, so they changed it to the silver. They changed it to the silver. Oh, the wow. silver is ugly. Um, so I am a big fan of the scarf. 
Also, you didn't ask. It's blazer season. I do not wear the blazer very often. I'm a big fan of the sweater because. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do like the sweater look. Yeah. And yeah. The, the sweater, the sweater with the scarf. Sweater with the scarf. Yeah. Awesome. I don't do the tap the... anymore. <laughs> I can see why. Yeah. <laughs> well, it gets hot so, with the scarf. You can open your neck. Sorry. Go ahead. Right. Right. So the other thing that I've I've noticed is when you're getting ready for the day and how long have you been flying for PSA now? Actually, I just got an email to pick up my one year pin today. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. So so the the other thing I want to ask is obviously you got the epaulets, you got the wings, you got mm. your scarf um, and your badge. But there's also one other thing that I've noticed in oh, four, yes. five of your pictures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is an absolute 100% accessory that you have to have on you. And what is it? Yes. You're talking about the pink thing, right? Yep. <laughs> that is my pen. <laughs> that is my Barbie pen. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so yeah. is that is that a ritual for you? You have to have your Barbie pen? I do. Yeah, I write with it. Um, it's always in my pocket because, you know, anything can happen. And I'm like, oh, I need to write this down. So I just flip it out, write it down, whatever I need. But I do not fly without the Barbie pen. <laughs> I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Also, the picture with uh, with you in the the yellow dress, stunning, by the way. Um, Thank you. But it's in front of the United Banner. What what was that? So that was OBAP. Um, so OBAP is Organization of Black Aerospace Professionals, huge organization, and PSA always has a table. They always have um, they always collaborate with OBAP, but United is actually OBAP's biggest sponsor, mm. and so they have a gala. So whenever they do the gala, it's united everywhere the they always do gifts um that you can take home and the gift this year was a united it looked kind of like a whiskey glass like a glass you would put whiskey or something in mm -hmm. um with the united logo on it so oh, well wow. that's that's so cool all right last few questions you ready yeah let's do it all right i'm a big fan of baseball and when at the uh when the at-home batter is walking up to the plate they have a snippet of a song playing in the background if you had a walk-up song to your gate to the ramp to the uh to the airplane what would it be and why oh um probably my check ride song which was you can't stop me by andy minio <laughs> yeah um it's this like really hype, like really upbeat um, song. I actually work out to it a lot. I run to it a lot. Um, and it's this guy just yelling on the song and he's like, you can't stop me! Like that. Minio, say it with me, Minio. Okay, great, two forks high, base stakes, risk it all, I take the hate, this the winning team, get the Gatorade, my guy good, but he's not safe, nah. They try to shut us down and it ain't Would you like to share your socials? Yeah, so I am at the Flying Mo, V-E-T-H-E-E, -E -E, Flying Mo underscore on Instagram and TikTok. 
Um, not really on Twitter yet. <laughs> Just because, I, I don't know, I feel like maybe that's not my demographic right now. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it for everything. And if anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out. I will totally get to it when I can. And I'd love to help out. Awesome. Any shout outs you'd like to make to anyone? Ooh. Um, shout out to my mom and my dad. They're going to listen to this. And my best Please. friend, Linda. <laughs> They're all going to listen. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to sit with me for an interview here on the podcast from the right seat. Uh, it actually is kind of funny that it's from the right seat because that's where you sit, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting in your seat now. You can sit in the yeah. left seat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, your story really hit home uh, pretty hard personally and is very inspiring for many, I'm sure. Uh, so thank you for sharing your story with us and uh, keep shooting for the stars. Thank you so much for having me. My biggest enemy is me, and even I can't stop me. They try to shut us down, and it ain't gonna slide. Before we land this awe-inspiring flight with Mariah, let's extend our heartfelt gratitude for joining us on From the Right Seat. Mariah's remarkable journey has left us with a sky full of inspiration and determination. Remember to stay connected with us for more thrilling aviation tales. Like, follow, subscribe on uh, all social medias uh, mine is from the right seat podcast you can get the podcast wherever you get your podcast spotify google podcast apple podcasts and more if you like this podcast please be sure to share it with your uh, fellow aviation enthusiasts and if you have any suggestions on who we should have on the show go ahead and drop me a, a message on instagram let me know what you think you can follow Mariah on Instagram at the Flying Mo. That's T H E E F L Y I N G M O underscore on Instagram to keep up with the latest updates and behind the scene glimpses. As we conclude this chapter of incredible stories, let Mariah's journey serve as a beacon of encouragement. Keep reaching for the skies, keep chasing your dreams, and until our next flight together, Blue skies and tailwinds to all. 